Hello and welcome to this week at the movies. I'm Matt. Dun, 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 dun. No, okay. I'm Eric. And today we're going to dial up some destiny as we look at the most recent Indiana Jones film. Eric was just like Phoebe Waller-Bridge in that picture. He could not believe what he was seeing. Just kidding. We'll find out. Uh, so this week's big release is Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, which is the fifth uh, Indiana Jones film, the first one since 2008. But really, I like to think of it as the first one since 1989. Uh, this is also the first one that wasn't directed by Steven Spielberg, James Mangold taking over the directorial duties here. We saw a couple of familiar faces return. Karen Allen makes an appearance. John Reese davies makes an appearance. We saw some new people, Antonio Banderas. We got a villain played by Mads Mikkelsen. We got a two-dimensional stick figure played by Boyd Holbrook. And we got Phoebe Waller-Bridge as Indiana Jones' goddaughter and kind of a partner in crime in this one. Eric, what did you think of the Dial of Destiny? Let me start traditional. Um, I thought all of the actors in this, their performances were fantastic, including the two-dimensional stick figure Boyd Holbrook. I'm not giving you Boyd Holbrook. That's, I find that personally offensive. I think I, I'm actually going to go ahead and, and tell you like his character is the reason why I felt like death had any weight. So I felt like without him, there were no stakes to the movie and I have to get deeper into that later, but um, he was just like readily despicable and he stands among this core of, of, of two or three villains, not an army of villains, two or three that think they are holding an army on their shoulders. And I, like Seanette Renee Wilson, I thought was fantastic. I've heard arguments that you could have blurred the characters and let her take over Phoebe Waller-Bridge's character, where you just have the reason she's into Indiana Jones is that. Maybe she was assigned to his case because her father knew him. And then you just kind of like mesh those and whatnot. So I went ahead and... And, and looked up some information and whatnot. So here's what it is. It's an adventure. Indiana Jones, not counting anything that's a flashback, is retiring. He's done. And yet his life is sort of falling apart, the life that he'd hope he'd have. And this person shoves their way into his life for their own personal, like, almost sinister, like personal intent and gets him involved in one last adventure revolving around a dial of Archimedes. And it's, it's weird because I see a lot of people point this out as being just like a fetch quest and all of this kind of stuff, but the motivations are so weird and messy and it is so unconventional as to why the lead characters are doing what they're doing at any given point in the movie that I can't chalk up the plot motivation to fetch questing maybe for when they're going under the water but i don't know i, th I think i'm speaking a lot in, in in riddles um thomas kretschmann that's the guy from wanted and several other movies who played a nazi in here and i think kind of got like a little overlooked because i feel like with indiana jones historically you have the nazi villain and you have the archaeologist villain that works with the nazis and i think that was mads mickelson but people are kind of like well he was also i mean 
let's be honest, a full-blown Nazi. <laughs> he was, absolutely, yeah. But, um, so, the editing in this movie is confusing, okay? There's, there's like, just one key example. Uh, after the incident where Indiana Jones and team goes underwater, they come out, Mads Mikkelsen starts looking through binoculars at the boat that they're following, and they think they've pulled off this trick. And there's a shot of him looking through the binoculars at them leaving. Then you cut away to a scene where they discuss where they're going for like three minutes of screen time. And then real quick cut back to the binoculars and he goes, they're heading east, not west. And he fades away. And it's like, were you staring at them for a full three minutes till you realized what direction they were going? Like, what do you, what is this? I mean, it's creepy. So, <laughs> Yeah. I've, I've seen people point out things like, um, there, there's a weird sort of jump in uh, the betting scene where Indy like cracks his whip a bunch and they all pull guns on him and then he ducks on the ground and suddenly no one is pointing their guns and everyone's scattered and in different locations. Um, and it's it's I don't think it would stand out as much if this franchise didn't have such a history of meticulously and masterfully storyboarded action event set pieces. And that's the thing. This was clearly made with the technology that you have coming out of the Mandalorian and all that, that Disney's been using. This is clearly, unfortunately looks fake for a lot of the movie. The stuff that does not feel fake to me works really, really well. I really enjoyed it. I really enjoy Harrison Ford, you know, as this character, my huge conceit, and I'm giving this movie one thumb up is that I think this is a standalone epilogue. I don't feel like this even fits in the chain of adventure, adventure, adventure for all of kingdom of the crystal skulls faults and it's fakeness and it's weird CGI blobs and, and the vine swinging and all of these little moments that pick it out at its core. It feels like Indiana Jones on an Indiana Jones adventure in an installment. I still think you can make the argument that it's a trilogy with this new epilogue, but I I'm going to stop there for now. And I'm just going to say, I think James Mangold and VFX don't mix. Like historically, the Wolverine's ending is notoriously panned for that silver samurai, like weird sucking thing. I didn't really buy, I love Logan, but young Hugh Jackman fighting old Hugh Jackman. As long as his face is not on screen, it worked. I don't know what it is about James Mangold's movies, but he it's like he knows so well how to stage and direct live actors and and pull like gritty like tangible worlds and sequences and put them together but if he has to do it in post-production there's some glitch there's some allergy or something i don't know what it is anyways in total this is an indiana jones adventure that makes a statement about indiana jones and i give it one thumb up I think the Wolverine is terrible in general. I mean, <laughs> it doesn't even take getting to the ending. That actually might. I can't. I get them confused. I think that one and X-Men Origins Wolverine are horrendous. I can't remember which one I hated more. Oh, but at least for completely different reasons. You got to give it that. Like, you can't, they're not the same animal. <laughs> Uh, I am also giving Dial of Destiny one thumb up. Um, I enjoyed it more than I thought. I was both excited to see it and incredibly nervous. Um, I do think you miss Steven Spielberg. 
uh, in here. Um, you know, you notice that it's it's not him just in some of the way that it's constructed. I did like the nostalgia things, you know, he's fighting Nazis again, the way they little things like where they cut away to the map to track progress, um, you know, little musical beats, things that feel like Indiana Jones. I did enjoy the quest for the most part. And when they get into the quest and it was kind of fun, they found their own way to, to have him and a female protagonist and you know a little junior protagonist that that all felt very familiar kind of putting putting it together um of course you know don't worry about romance at all here because harrison ford's like 80 years old in real life now i'm not throwing india under the bus but i mean you know it's just a different phase of you know the the character i think it's too long it suffers a little bit for me there especially the first like half I thought was pretty dry and I was I was real nervous uh you know then that I don't I almost don't know if we needed that 20 minute opening sequence where they de-aged him I don't I've been thinking about it for a while there are some I guess fun things in there but I don't think it furthered the story I think you could have gotten everything you needed with a couple of flashbacks uh, to Toby Jones, one of which they already have in there, uh, you know, that he was obsessed with this. I don't know that it did enough to establish a background for Mads Mickelson's character for that you needed. Um, so, and there were parts of that that were weird. So you could have taken, you know, 20 minutes off and then you're right in line. The Indiana Jones movies were always around two hours, two hours and 10 minutes. This one's two, two hours and 34 minutes. You could have sucked that 21 minutes out and you might've had a better, tighter movie. I know it is typical in an Indiana Jones movie that you have some kind of non sequitur opening action sequence. I mean, we get it in Raiders with the rolling ball. It doesn't really impact things, you know? So I'm sure they were trying to have that kind of big, Saturday morning serial opening, which is, you know, the original origins for this. George Lucas and Steven Spielberg wanted that, you know, Saturday matinee serial um, action feel. There are moments that work really well. Um, for me, it's when Harrison Ford kind of is allowed to, to be. There's a moment uh, between him and Phoebe Waller-Bridge on the boat when they're talking about, you know, would you go back? And he's talking about what happened to his son, what happened to his marriage, what happened to his life that was incredibly poignant. Um, I didn't know I needed the tag at the end of the movie, but I, that part ends up being, you know, really resonant too. It's a weird plot device, um, but somehow it worked. I did think, and I'm just going to say, we've we've talked about Harrison Ford has been uh, in the last probably decade on a um, reunion tour of all of his famous characters, and there's been one thing that seems to unite that. He's like, sure, I'll be Rick Deckard again. Dies. Oh, I'd love to be Han Solo again. Dies. Oh, yeah, I'll do Indiana Jones again. And when, for a minute there, I thought they were going to leave him, and I'm like, you, Jack, I cannot believe you're doing this to, to another one of your characters. So I was actually mildly surprised that that wasn't how it ended. 
Um, I know people have talked about, it seems like Disney's trying to set up some IP with maybe having Phoebe Waller-Bridge um, continue as her character in this franchise series. I don't know how I'd feel about that. I don't know if that works. I don't really, I honestly don't think we need more Indiana Jones. I don't know if I needed this one. Although I, for me, it was a great improvement over the last one. Um, as much as I love Steven Spielberg, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull did not work for me, which we'll probably get to with our, our when we talk about our franchise rankings. So I really liked uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge. I tend to love her style and comedy. Um, if you've seen Fleabag on Prime Video, I just, you know, she had some hilarious lines and just some some deliveries and stuff like when they're getting ready to dive on the boat and she said something like officer brandy reporting for duty and gives him a flask just things like that 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 worked for me i liked it more than i expected which is why i gave it a thumbs up i thought it was better i it wasn't as good as it could have been or it wasn't as bad as i feared it would be there is a condition in which i would give this movie two thumbs up and parade this movie as genius. And that is if half of what feels like mistakes in this movie were intentional. What this movie accidentally is continues a trend that's been floating through, I believe, the Matrix Revolutions. There's weird winks at Iron Man 3. And there's... Uh, something that I talked with uh, Curtis from the other podcast that we do this film not rated about across the spider verse that just came out across the spider verse is something that comes out as feeling fresh and new. That's built on a monument of what's already been done. And I made a comment in our episode on that, that in that way, it sort of feels like the finale of a fireworks display starting to go off. And I couldn't shake that feeling. And it's interesting because this, what got me started thinking about this was thinking, we don't need this opening sequence in Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. And so I started thinking like, why is this here? And I started thinking, you know what? If it wasn't there, this would never have felt like an Indiana Jones movie. I don't think. He would have gotten on a horse, but he would have been chased in a subway. It would have felt weirdly modern. And then when we do get into the tomb and temple and all this, we go back particularly to a sword and sandal, like old style blockbuster, pre-blockbuster blockbuster. And I started to put these things together and, and kind of thought like what this, what this movie sort of accidentally is is spending the first 25 minutes proving we could make Indiana Jones as Indiana Jones once was, okay? And then they did something that kind of reinforced that I thought maybe this was intentional. Anthony Ingruber, the character that plays young Harrison Ford in Age of Adeline, who got famous on the internet for his impression of Harrison Ford, is sitting at the betting table for the dial. He's in the movie. And... I was like, so they paid Anthony Ingruber to be here and not be young Indiana Jones when they could have. While they're showing off an old Indiana Jones adventure that almost deliberately looks fake. And then every time they're in reality, 
It doesn't feel like Indiana Jones. And every time they're pushing the flavor of Indiana Jones, it's set in hard green screen and looks fake. And it starts to create this back and forth where when Sala yells, give him hell, Indiana Jones, he is interrupted by a car honking him. And when Harrison Ford begins to romanticize his life and, and talk about how he's losing everything, he's cut off and pushed the other direction by saying, you've still got a ring on your finger. And... There's this relationship between Indiana Jones and his wanting to go back to the way things were, wanting to go back to those adventures and him reminiscing at his time with Toby Jones and him wanting to recapture parenthood with Phoebe Waller-Bridge because of Lost Mutt and the fact that they've deliberately taken away the life he once lived that sort of starts to turn every single scene and to, in my opinion, an almost accidental, accidental genius commentary on we're done. We've had these stories. What do you want? A fifth one that feels just like the other ones to cycle around on a, on a, you know, just going through the same flavor for more hours. And it started to get me thinking about characters like Teddy, the kid who is, in Indiana Jones' eyes and probably the audience's eyes, short round. Just enough to be short round, but never in reality is just looking out for his own skin. He's not short round. He's not, he doesn't have any allegiance to Indiana Jones. He has an allegiance to Phoebe Waller-Bridge, but it's mostly for his survival. You know, there's a, there's a reality underpinning things that the romantic view of it doesn't work. And it's the same thing with Phoebe Waller-Bridge. She comes in as this idealistic student who's like, you knew my father and you were my godfather, but you sort of learn underneath of that. She's like, you were never really a godfather to me. You were a means to an end. And now I'm trying to sort of get away from you. And their relationship grows in this different sort of way where she's trying to tether him to reality while he's slipping towards his idea of, of romance for history and excitement for the dial. And it's sort of like, the dial is this ticking time bomb of being thrust into an opportunity to go backwards. And the movie then gives you deliberately a chance to go back in time and maybe say like, hey, what is the value you're going to get from going back and continuing to try and peddle the same things and just go back and relive it and think you're going to make the same successes when what you really need to do is take the best from that past and sort of move on that we sort of need to like grow up and move on. And that's, I, I sort of absolutely love, but not because of the movie's intention for my own personal reasons, the ending, which I am going to put a spoiler in. So skip ahead. If you can, it's going to be very brief description is just Indiana Jones thrust and looking around a romantic history that he just wants to go be at peace in for whatever that means. And then it is knocked away from him and he is ripped back into his present life. And then he's like, appreciate the things you have now, Sala, your wife, and keep your hat and move on. And this started occurring to me while the movie was going. So when we got into the practical sets of the tomb he was going into, and we started picking up the signs that he was going back, and Indiana Jones started talking about like his his investment in like wanting to go back. And then he 
is calling out to the villain and the villains who also think they are the storybook villains who are going to win. You know, there, there's this perfect idea in taking the character, Indiana Jones, and using him for this because he's one of the last characters we have that goes back to a period of history that we romanticize where there was a clear villain in the world and we were able to draw a hard line between good and bad and root for the good guys. And that's sort of the same thing with Winter Soldier, uh, Captain America. And I think the reason why that movie stands a cut above most of the MCU is you have that same sort of break of this fantasy of what if the bad guys revealed themselves to be around and everything was black and white again. And like, it just, th there's that moment in the plane where Indiana Jones outthinks them and is like, you're going to the wrong year. And he panics and tries to get them to turn the plane around and then commits. And it's just watching the villain fall apart under his own hubris. I, I thought was genius. I thought it was amazing. And all they're trying to do, all the heroes are trying to do is just survive. And then Indiana Jones has like just this, this moment of just like, I'm here in one of those impossible moments that have only happened three or four times in my life where I have a chance to grasp onto something magical and historical. And I want to cling to it because I don't want to lose it. And it's just a, this huge movie length, two and a half hour punch in the face reminder. You can't, you have to move on. I, oh, like the more I think about it, the more engrossed I get in this sort of fantasy of what the movie is to me. When in reality, we know what it is. We know that it's a studio who pushed to do this and they got a young guy to wear a fake Harrison Ford face and they animate it with CGI. And it kind of reminded me of this episode of Futurama, which I've been rewatching where the professor puts a bunch of stem cell goop on his face to make himself young. And then it like jumps off and crawls away. Um, you know, it just, all of a sudden this idea of like destiny and wanting to turn back time. And this thing, it became like this icon where Indiana Jones was the perfect action character with this romanticized past where he's like, I'm going to talk quips about the Fuhrer and, and I'm going to punch Nazis and I'm going to do everything. And we got this great reminder that we totally could do that. But then the rest of the movie asks you, why would we? And I think it does a much stronger job, even if it's accidentally of doing that than something like Matrix Revolutions did. And it, it this is like living in my gut and in my brain. And I, I, I keep going over it in my head and I can't let it go. Except for that's not what Disney is doing. Lucasfilm. So, you know, your whole thing reminded me of, uh, I just watched the last season of Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which was a show I really like on... Uh, yeah, Prime Video, and in it, Tony Shalhoub is a uh, theater critic, and they go see this show. And afterward, he's he's talking to his wife and a group of people, and he's talking about the play had all this, you know, hidden depths and meanings about the meaning of life and the nature of God. And his wife's like, it was about a boy and a dog, and she's like, yes, but you missed the point. So she gets up and goes to the guy who made the play, and oh, you know, what were you trying to convey? He's like, well, I. I just had a dog when I was a kid that I that I really loved. And that's, I, you know, and then Tony Shalhoub looks like he wants to die. Yeah. yeah. I, I feel that. I know that would be it. Because if, 
if Disney had any intention of doing that, they wouldn't have dumped Ryan Johnson from Star Wars because that is 150% what Ryan Johnson Jedi. did with The Last Jedi, yes! which is unquestionably to me the greatest Star Wars film in history. And they patently rejected that and went back to effing they, Emperor Palpatine resurrected from the dead they in the last the movie stronger. so that you can just be like, oh and my that's God, part why of the did reason, this happen to me? Yeah, that's part of the reason why I'm starting to get this feeling that we're in this finale fireworks display. And I can even mark it with the rise of horror commercially and the James Cameron's Avatar series which is like the last standing mega blockbuster tentpole that people are hanging their dreams on, but it only has three installments to win the world into making blockbusters continue. And franchise after franchise, Star Wars, Indiana Jones, The Matrix, are just coming back with installments sitting here proving they've got nothing left new to offer. Which, Even the in which they've greenlit another Star Wars that puts Rey right back into... It, you know, it, but it's gonna have to t twist into something, and I think what's going to happen. I think I, over the next, you know what? I don't think, I honestly don't know if they they are gonna feel that need because they're still making money. I mean, Indiana Jones is tracking to make between sixty and seventy five million, which doesn't sound incredible, but I, I don't think it's gonna be immediate at all. No, I don't. I think this is the beginning of a fireworks display that's been running for fifty years. Um, this this summer has been a lot. We have had a seemingly endless return to every franchise, and I will say I'm excited for Mission Impossible. I am too. In a week or two, but that's the rare franchise that has been going for more than 20 years, where the last installment was the best one they've had. Uh, but like and even that it one keeps has getting better. I love Christopher McQuarrie, but I when they announced they were making another Indiana Jones, I was like. Hmm. No, really? They, yeah. they were making another Transformers. I was like, really? No. Yeah. You know, the Flash movie, I've been on the, I liked the Flash movie a lot more than I expected. But when they first announced that way back now, it was either like 16 or 17. So they were making it. I was like, no. <laughs> no. So, I mean, all these things we've had to wait eons for. We've had, we've had a lot of, franchise movies i i would be happy if i never had to watch another john wick movie again see I, you know and this last too, one was three you know, like john hour. wick was that rare thing that just about 10 years ago they showed you there's something special that's been missing from action movies for a while and even it has run itself into the ground and is just now spinning off into a ballerina and possibly John Wick 5 and like promising more and more. We're getting that with all the horror franchises too. I mean, Scream. But we are. I don't I don't need another but, one, but they're apparently working on like two or three more. Yeah. I have given up hope that Halloween's ended. Yeah. Well, we, we know. I, I don't know how they're going to to reincarnate that series because you can't do it with michael and laurie strode you have to find a whole new oh challenge accepted bring for... michael myers in <laughs> they'll find they'll find a way if they think they can yeah. even another <clears throat> dollar out of it uh you know we still just have yeah and that's why as much as i'm curious like what andy machete can do with batman the brave and the bold i was literally thinking since 2005 we've had like eight batman movies yeah 
you know, Spider-Man, we are on our fourth different Spider-Man, if you count Spider-Verse, which I do, mm -hmm. since 2002. Which I do. I mean, it's 20 years and you've had four different iterations of mm -hmm. the character in franchise films. But see, it's... that's the sign. It's because they keep trying a new one and it fizzles out and a new one and it fizzles out. And they're starting to fizzle out faster and faster. Brothers wants to make it Harry Potter as a TV show. I'm like, yeah, kill me. Like, how far are they going to get? I'll tell you. They will get. They will finish Chamber of Secrets and they will cancel the show. I'm predicting that now. That's all right. Um, as I was sitting there watching the first two episodes of the final season of Jack Ryan, it finally mm -hmm. dawned on me. I'm like, this feels really. Oh my god, they're doing Claire in Present Danger. <laughs> Okay. I was like, wait, is that guy going to end up being Chavez? And yeah. he's like, my name's Chavez. And I'm like, oh, dang. <laughs> I was like, well, I always feel like I've seen the... Yes. Okay, cool. Well, before we get out of here, this man, for 42 years, has embodied uh, this character over five films. So Eric... What is what is your ranking for the franchise? Three, one, two, five, four. Yeah, four being the last, you know, Crystal Skull. So uh, your favorite one is The, the last, last Crusade. And I actually, I saw this really thoughtful video from Red Letter Media talking about how the last crusade gives so much characterization to Indiana Jones that it's not the same. It sort of limits him from being the free action figure he is in the first two. And I actually kind of liked their criticism of it, but I don't care. That movie has, <laughs> that movie has absolutely flawless internal reasoning for the motivations and the plot, beautiful characterizations of characters, absolutely wild spectacle and adventure. And like, thoughtful like subversions of character tropes and like who they would normally be to one another it has everything i absolutely love Plus last crusade yeah like they, <coughs> absolutely and and they absolutely know he's indiana jones and that's absolutely or he's james bond and that's absolutely why he's indiana jones father and it's 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 amazing did you ever watch uh, the big bang theory when i was on yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're I, you talking I, about the episode with the Yes, I still can't get over the episode where they they basically <laughs> just just like break off the first movie. Kind of even though I can I, tell there's a lot of Raiders to the Lost Ark. Right. I that, can't that, help that but think about me. it now that Indiana Jones has literally no impact on the Yeah. Every time yeah. with when we're on free watch and that comes up, I'm like, this, this gets me, but you know what? Like you, I don't care. Right. Uh, Raiders <laughs> of the lost Ark came out the same year I was born. Oh, wow. uh, so it came out almost, I think it was like, a, like a month after I was born. Um, but that's, that's my favorite of Indiana Jones Raiders of the Lost Ark. Not too far sure. behind though is Last Crusade. I think most people have those two in some order. I, there's kind of a bigger gap for me between those two and Temple of Doom, but I still have that one number three, then I would slot Dial of Destiny in as four and then Crystal yep. Skull, you know, I just, eh. 
not all the plot worked, and then the the ending. It's like I don't know if Steven Spielberg finished in the X Files marathon. It was like challenge accepted. No, George Lucas did. George Lucas was like aliens, 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 and he was like, "No, man, I've done Close Encounters, I've done ET, I've done every no, stop it." And he's like, "What if they're interdimensional beings?" And he's like, "What if fine, Indian George Marian, Lucas? What if Indians Marion get married?" All right, I'll do it. There you go. There's an ending. What if I sure. give you Shia LaBeouf? Oh, he I could like be the next Indiana just, Jones. Uh, he just died in pictures. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, and, and and again, it's an easy way to just like write off a character who wasn't popular for they Disney marketing wise. Incredibly emotional though. With but that, that scene yeah, no, I I still think that was the best scene in Dial of Destiny because. <clears throat> Harrison Ford was kind of like at his most even other times like tonally like you mentioned when they're on the boat in Dial of Destiny you know and forgetting that creepy Mads Mickelson's just staring him down for three minutes but she's like all happy they escaped and he's like my best friend one of my good friend just died and they sort and you think oh yeah that should be sad and then 10 seconds later it's still another quippy joke and where should we go next and I'm like okay that didn't um yeah how humans work um you go you go from raiders of the lost ark with alfred molina's death and he just says adios sapito you know and he runs off you know and and they had a mixed relationship for sure (laughs) but you know you go it's it's such a striking contrast in beginning this movie punching nazis off a train to their death left and right to when just people in an office are shot and Indiana Jones measures their pulse and there's blood on his hands. And he's grieving for the death of Antonio Banderas and he's heartbroken over the loss of his son. Death has like real consequence in this movie. And it's so different from what everything else has been. Like the villains are sort of acting like they're movie villains, but it feels like they're accidentally doing that in the real world and everyone else is just like, whoa, like, like, it's a very interesting movie. Yeah, I, I, I get. Yeah, I can't get over your description of that. It's like I'm never. I never want to interview James Mangold about this movie because I feel like there's this sort of thing living in my chest that would be killed when I like inevitably hear the reality of. Better what this yet, is. we'll set you up to interview Kathleen Kennedy. Oh please! Any Lucas day film. of the week. Future. Yeah, I'll get a haircut for that interview. I don't. Ooh. <clears throat> well that'll uh, wrap it up for indiana jones time but next week uh eric and i will be back you may have noticed the calendar has flipped from june to july which means half the year is gone where has that half gone but we will look at five movies we really liked from the first half of the year and i like to remind people by this time last year we had already seen the eventual best picture winner released we had seen Top Gun Maverick released, a couple movies that were with uh, people's top 10 lists throughout the year. So don't sleep on the first half of the year. We'll roll out some of our favorites. Uh, looking forward to seeing what what sticks out to you. Yeah. Will it be? Shout out it's going to be the Indiana Jones that you thought you saw. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, shout out to whoever that one person is we can see who's watching us live. We love you. Anyways. <laughs> 
Have a great week, and I uh, can't wait to share our top five list with you next week. Until then, we'll see you at the movies. <laughs>